Welcome to Industry Night, where I provide a platform for fellow service industry members from bartenders, servers, and hosts to food and beverage directors, chefs, and brand reps to share their stories, their knowledge, and their passions. (laughs) Well, on that amazing beginning tangent to this episode, obviously, sitting down with me tonight, recording this episode, is my friend Wyatt Day. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Wyatt, you have a lot of very niche interests in the industry, which I very much enjoy because I think you do a great job of um, diving in for a lot of your own personal research. In fact, a lot of cocktails even that you've introduced me to, I like where they've come from of you've taken them or been inspired by other very highly respected, well-known bars um, and kind of borrowed some of their like concepts and recipes, which I think is cool. So I want to get into that a little bit because I know you like a lot of culinary aspects. I do. In your cocktails. I do. Now you have a culinary background a bit, yes? Or at least a back of house background? Yeah, not like extensive. Like I wasn't like a chef chef or anything. Um, But when I was 18... Uh, which I'm 25 now, so it's been a while. But when I was 18, I was a dishwasher <laughs> for uh, like a fine dining restaurant, mm-hmm. and um, I was dishwasher there for. Was that one of your like, first jobs? Uh, it was maybe like I think it was my second job actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I was a dishwasher, and uh, I was just in the dish pit for like half a year, and then their pantry chef at the time walked out on them. Oh wow! So they were like, "You." come up here uh and just like i just trained on yeah yeah i just trained on uh excuse me um doing pantry stuff so Mm -hmm. just like assembling salads and Mm -hmm. like bruschetta and stuff Mm -hmm. like that uh and then after a few months they put me on hot side and basically i was doing saucier work Oh, cool. So I was making sauces. Mm-hmm. And that was like literally my whole job. I would go in in the morning and make, I would prep sauces for them. Uh, did somebody, beyond just giving you the recipe, did somebody like take you aside and teach you the techniques or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And beyond like that, like just like normal stuff too. Like that's how I learned how to like chiffonade basil, like making ribbons from oh. basil and like. You're going to have to, I'm going to ask you a lot of times throughout this to um, provide a little further context. I had to Google something you sent me earlier. Brown Uh, butter. Yeah. 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 Mm. It's just fancy brown butter. Well, yes, but what did you call it? It was a French term. It's Boer Nazette. Yeah. One more time. Boer Nazette. Boer Nazette. I'm probably saying it with a a horrible American accent, but yeah. Well, I'm saying it worse, so that is entirely (laughs) fine. I'm just trying to follow. Yeah, but (laughs) But it's brown butter. Yeah, it's brown. It's a French term for brown butter. I looked it up, and it technically refers to, like, I think, like, hazelnut butter. There's no hazelnut, but it refers to the color. Yeah, it's, like, basically you're toasting the fat solids in the butter without burning it. Beautiful. Um, And you're doing it for, like, maybe... I don't know, like a 15-minute, depending on how much butter's in the pot, but like a 15-minute time span, and you're taking it off and on the heat and toasting the fat solids, so then basically by the end, it's a very rich brown color, and uh, it basically just provides like a lot of like nuttiness to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really good actually for baking. Like you can use it for really like cookies or like whatever, like brown Mm -hmm. sugar. Yeah, our... Dark chocolate sea salt cookies are a brown butter yeah. base. Yeah, okay, well, there you mm-hmm. go. At the bar. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, she does that. It just makes it, like, w- way richer. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I was thinking about washing the rum with that. Yes. Uh, but I was like, that's going to Which I'm going to ask you to yeah. elaborate on later, because I've personally never fat-washed a cocktail, but it is a very popular technique in the craft space. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah. You're, you were speaking on more of your sauce making and how you were kind of learning some of that. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, they taught me some techniques, um, like basic culinary techniques, even just basic, basic, basic stuff, like how to hold a chef knife. Sure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just normal stuff. Um, Is there any person in particular that stands out to you or was the team as a whole really hands-on in teaching you? 
probably just the team as a whole. Um, I won't name names, but I hated that job actually. Okay, as fair. much as much as I learned like a lot for about a year. Um, it. I'm sure people in the kitchen know that a kitchen can be extremely hostile, mm-hmm. and that was probably the most hostile place I've ever worked. In terms uh, of like the pressure and how you were spoken to yeah just like verbally like everyone was a bully to each other like Mm. even if like you learned a lot everyone just had something to say Mm. uh a lot of anger a lot of tension zero appreciation for like anything that you would do um so yeah i mean the day that i quit i literally i walked out um it's the only job i've ever walked out of wow and it was like what was your breaking point that day (laughs) I, uh, I I put a cheesecake up on Expo, uh, and I was working in the evening that night, and um, I guess I, like, missed a spot on the plate and in terms to, of like, like to the, wipe oh, it off, of you know? Expo. Okay, yeah. Yeah, to, like, wipe it off and make it presentable, and, like, the chef was just like, oh, you fucking idiot, you know, like, whatever, and I was like, all right, dude, like, I don't, why? Like, you know, say, and yeah. I'm sure after a year of hearing that, type yeah. of yeah all yeah. the time i was mm-hmm. like okay i'm leaving so and then i uh went and um became a barista and that's how hell i learned yeah. coffee stuff all the coffee so, stuff hell yeah so it's all normal you know i went from making sauces and compotes and uh like bolognese and mm-hmm. stuff like that uh to coffee and then i went from coffee to cocktails i love that so all the liquids yeah. <laughs> all of the liquids all the liquids yes yeah. Now, um, I know in the kitchen, you were saying when you first got pulled from dish into pantry, you said, right? Um, it was mostly out of, like, need that there were, like, you were there. You clearly had proven, like, competent, basically. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was a spot to fill and they, you know, pulled you over. When you got moved up again and started doing hot side and sauces and all of that, was that something that you had to, like, ask for or express interest in? Or was that another one that, like, somebody decided that you were going to move up i think it was just based off necessity and uh i had proven some level of competence as well Mm -hmm. uh and interest like they could see that i was interested in like on pantry that's how i learned how to chef not basil which Mm. is just like basically you take basil leaves and you stack them together and roll them and then you cut them finely Mm -hmm. and it creates basically the illusion of ribbons oh that's beautiful and so just like sh- very small. So what would you use that for? I guess I can't quite picture it. Uh, you could use it as a garnish. Um, on like what we, kind of dishes? We would put it on uh, really anything. But you put it on a pasta oh, okay. or, you know, soups or whatever. I was going to say, I guess I can picture it on like soup. But we, like we a put nice it, lobster bisque. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we put it on um, a goat cheese bruschetta. Ooh. So like goat cheese and balsamic glaze mm-hmm. and tomato. And, you know, it's like a very colorful dish. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, I love that. But yeah, they, they it was... It, pretty much out of necessity again but um they uh uh i don't know i guess they just saw that i was naturally interested in how i cooking and culinary stuff which i am by no means a chef like sure it's just like a hobby now Fair. i did make a fucking kick-ass filet mignon two nights ago though <laughs> hell yeah with, brother like, yeah i made like a home like homemade uh dill garlic butter Ooh. and cooked it in that damn and pan seared it and baked it with roasted asparagus it was great that sounds really at like good. two in the morning because you know me (laughs) because insomnia (laughs) yes because meg is out of town right now which means i can act like a normal human being at three in the morning (laughs) and and make a play normal for you (laughs) yeah normal for me which is not normal Uh, making a bunch of noise in the kitchen yes yeah which would not be permitted if she was home so (laughs) fair enough all right so at what point were you able to start playing with these more culinary kind of like food e techniques with your cocktails did a job teach you that or was that something that you yourself kind of like took those skills and transferred them uh it was it was both i guess um i would do a lot of home home stuff um when i could actually buy, start buying liquor like when mm-hmm. i was 21 and i'd just go to the liquor store and buy whiskey or mezcal or tequila or whatever and uh but the very first thing that I learned was on uh, a job, uh, actually at Sidebar, like nice. literally like a few few blocks away. Yep. Um, my 
manager at the time uh it's funny because it's so funny because she she learned she taught me how to do a lot of culinary stuff with spirits and cocktails and stuff and she's also the same person who taught me basically everything in being a barista oh wow because we worked at the same coffee shop for a while very cool and so she taught me a shit ton of stuff about coffee and like the acidity and pH levels mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, releasing CO2 and the coffee beans and, <laughs> yeah. you know, all this weird science stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of science behind coffee that is. I didn't realize for a very long time. Yeah. Until I, meeting some cool coffee nerds and I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. All right. It, it's like <laughs> kind of, it's weird because it's like, it's equally underappreciated mm-hmm. as it is pretentious <laughs> sometimes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with cocktails, you know, like. Uh, it's equally underappreciated, but at, at the end of the day, I'm still going to drink like a high life, you know, yeah. and like, I don't care about, you know, I like a good cocktail, but I still am just going to drink like high life the same way that I'm going to drink like shitty black coffee, yeah. like gas station coffee or whatever. I but. have found over the years, some of the best, and I, we can all learn this together right now for the rest of my podcast series. I hate the term mixologist and mixology so you will never catch me using that especially seriously maybe horribly ironically but i'm going to use the word like cocktail creator (laughs) Uh, (laughs) personally well mini tangent within this i very much consider myself a, a bartender yeah because i think that making the cocktails is only a very small piece of the actual job that we do and tending to your guests and creating those relationships and the entire experience from the second that they walk in and make contact with you. I think that's what makes a bartender. And I think that what makes our job, we are bartending at least at our bar. Um, But more umbrella term backtracking anyone I've met that does make incredible cocktails and really knows how to build and structure a menu build and structure a single drink, create something for a single guest. So many of those people that understand all of those depth and layers uh, don't tend to drink cocktails themselves. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All of that to say, I've met so many, and I, I am one of those as well. I am generally happier with either a neat pour and or a beer. Yeah. No, literally like my go to... Like, if I am drinking at a bar, my go-to drink is literally just any Amaro straight. I typically Montenegro or something. But Hell yeah, Monty. Uh, I know, yeah. <laughs> which, which, again, you can call that pretentious or whatever, but, like, that's I just know what I like. But yeah. it's, like, yeah. Like well, fern, it's very full-flavored without there, you know. any steps. You know, you're just asking somebody to pour something. Yeah. They're certainly not going to mess it up. I mean, does that ever come into play for you mentally, at least when you're choosing to not order a cocktail? Is it out of because of not trusting somebody else? You don't know how they're going to make something. You don't know their skill set. Or does it just come down to you just prefer something neat? It's typically just the latter. Um, I guess maybe sometimes it like de- it obviously depends on the bar that I'm at. Sure. Like. If I'm at like a dive bar, I'm not going to ask them to make me a daiquiri or something, <laughs> you know, like or an old fashioned or Four anything. snackeries, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if I'm at a dive bar, I'm not going to ask them to do that. Not necessarily because I don't trust them, but it's like there's different kinds of bartending. Like there's cocktail oh, bartending and there's mm-hmm. dive bar bartending. And it's like you can sling beers all day and still make the same amount of money as yeah. you would doing cocktails. And oh, like, hands down, it definitely comes down to. I think, number one, the establishment that you're in in and of itself, but also the city that you're in, in terms of where my head is at, I apologize, um, is about how much money you can make at these jobs. Like, you can 100% be a six-figure bartender in a lot of different scenarios, but a lot of times it ultimately is going to come down to like the city you're in and the type of traffic that's there. A lot of it comes down to volume. Well, I mean, like, I mean, fucking Broadway. Oh, yeah, these Broadway bartenders are making i've met a couple actually that only bartend like two days a week Yep, two days a week some of which live in florida (laughs) they literally live in florida they come up every week to work their two shifts and they fly back to florida that is how much money they are making granted it's 
cash and it's not immediately taxed. So a lot of them do really stupid things with that money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like some of these people are made. Yeah, it's like it's it's wild. Yeah. Well, I Plus, mean, it- the nature of Broadway bartending, my God, you really can't do more than three shifts without wanting to... I think either hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I don't think it, most places let you work more than three shifts. It depends on where you're at. Like, I mean, we're like, we're at, I'm happy doing four to five, mm-hmm. you know, a week. Um, if, yeah, if I was on Broadway, dude, I would like, I would want to fucking no. Yeah. yeah. I, I would just want to, I'm end. not built for it. And I'm not either. And, and I that's ca- okay. I, I ca- respect the hell yeah, out of those Broadway I, bartenders. I, and I'm like, get your back. I was going to say, I can respect <laughs> it. Absolutely. But I don't want to sell my soul for two days a week yeah. and then like hate myself. I mean, yeah, it's what and, you're doing. It's a, it's a huge trade off. Yeah. You're making a lot of money. Yeah. You're putting up with some pretty awful behavior yeah. of humanity. I don't want to spend like five days out of my, my week dreading the two days that i yeah, have to that's work, m- yeah know? i've thought a lot about but, that that would be my concern yeah. is that even though it'd be those two days i think yeah so much of my off yeah. time would just be being concerned about going back in yeah now with all that being said do you have a preferred bartending environment for yourself to work in that you've found over the years so i had a weird introduction to bartending actually um and again uh uh my old manager, mm-hmm. she she introduced me to like culinary stuff, like washing. Uh, I think the first thing I ever did was I washed mezcal with uh, coconut oil. Very and cool. So it was just a coconut washed mezcal. So can you walk us through that process for people like myself that have never? Yeah, it's really uh, honestly washing anything is like really easy. Uh, you just obviously the ratios are different depending on what you want to do, but. Um, I'll just use whiskey as an example. Like you take bottles of whiskey and you dump them in a big old Kimbro or vat or whatever you want to use mm-hmm. a container. Uh, <laughs> and then say you're fat washing it. Um, uh, say it's, you want to do like uh, bacon fat mm-hmm. and you cook your bacon and you get the fat from it, all the grease and stuff. Uh, once it's cooled off, you pour it into all the whiskey, let it sit for two days, mm-hmm. um, stir it around a little bit, and, you know, agitate it a little bit, so just, just so it's incorporated. Mm-hmm. And then you strain it uh, out so there's no fat solids in it, mm-hmm. and then maybe let it sit for another day, strain it again, mm-hmm. um, so there's even no just no residual fat solids. Now, during any of that, does the fat, like, come and rise to the top? Yeah. Like, can you, like... When you open it after two days, can you basically, I mean, obviously you want to straighten it, but like when it's at the end of that two days, like, do you pretty much like take solids off the top? I mean, I mean, basically. Is that usually? Okay. Yeah. That's basically the process. But, uh, and I mean, it's, it's pretty gross. Like I wouldn't want to serve a cocktail with like bacon fat just like at the top. Well, certainly not. No. So yeah. (laughs) Uh, but um, but yeah, it, if you're using any kind of fat, whether it's like coconut oil or avocado oil or bacon grease or butter or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty much just obviously the flavor profile is completely altered from what you're using, but it also makes the spirit itself like super silky mm-hmm. and like the mouthfeel is like way thicker, mm-hmm. almost kind of like chartreuse in that way yeah it's like really Mm -hmm. silky uh yeah a little bit more weight to it yeah a little bit heavier texture yeah kind of like around your mouth around your tongue it coats like your whole mouth basically Mm um it's those lipids yes yeah uh but yeah so like that's like the basic process of whatever whatever you're using Mm -hmm. it's like you're just literally letting it sit for a couple days and straining it letting it sit straining it's a very like passive project yeah, it's really not that labor intensive, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's just like waiting. <laughs> waiting. So it's a little intensive and somewhat storage space. Yeah. Of like you have to obviously have space to let that sit. Yeah, and maybe temperature mm. too. Like if you're using coconut oil, for example, like I think it's better to, if you're washing it, 
to put it in a space that's a little bit warmer mm-hmm. just so that because uh, coconut oil solidifies yeah quickly. obviously yeah like pretty mm-hmm. quickly so if you're using it and I, I have found it preferable to store it like i don't know like uh, if you have like a warmer attic, <laughs> oh, <sure>. put it <laughs> put it in an attic or something like that. It's fine if it solidifies. It's just like I've found that it's easier to incorporate if, oh, it's, okay. if it remains a little bit more liquid. E, you know. So Heard. yeah, love that. Uh, Good to know. But yeah, my old manager taught me basics of infusions and stuff like that at Sidebar. Um, and uh, uh, what was the the first question before that? Um, how did I get into? Oh, um, well, I think actually that was the first question is okay. how did you get into the those like culinary aspects of food? But um, asking your preference on where to bartend, like your style of bar to yeah, work yeah. within. So that ties into it. That's what I was trying to get at. Um, so I, I've only bartended at, like at a few bars in general. And it was like a sidebar and uh, Pokito, which is a Japanese bar up in Brooklyn. Oh, very cool. Um, that's mainly why I learned about Japanese whiskey and mm-hmm. gin and all that and Amaro's. Uh, but I had a weird in into bartending because I feel like most people who started bartending are a barback. Mm-hmm. for like a year <laughs> yeah or however yeah, long a lot of places. Mm-hmm. and they're basically the like the bar even if you have bartending experience a lot of places are pretty set on the mindset of like i need you to work your way up within this yeah. particular space and i just like don't care about that you know <laughs> i i it's just, it's weird too because it's the same thing with being a barista i don't oh, is know it? Why, similar culture yeah i don't know why there's like so much gatekeeping Mm. around bartending and being a barista especially being a barista (laughs) like that's just stupid to me because at the end of the day the people that you're serving coffee to don't give a fuck that you put you know bourbon vanilla and you know in it or whatever you're doing uh people it's changing a little bit with cocktails but it's honestly still largely that with cocktails as well like especially in this day and age with instagrammable drinks yeah yeah so many people they way prefer like they don't they want it to be cute yeah of course yes everyone obviously wants it to taste good but a lot of people just want something visually pleasing yeah they don't really want to hear about why it's good or why you made it or how you made it unfortunately but i'm hoping that this lands in the niche of people that do care (laughs) and want to know yeah and it's not even like do you care don't care it's just like i if people want to be a bartender and or a barista and they end up in it and they say they don't go through like the sort of gatekeeping around it like being a a bar back or if you're a barista it's typically you're you're just a dishwasher or something Mm -hmm. uh or you have to work at starbucks first and do you know like fast food coffee or whatever you want to do uh in the end it like if you're a bad bartender you're a bad bartender <laughs> like yeah like i've i've met people and that and again i won't name anybody but like i've met people who can make a really good cocktail but they're just bad bartenders yeah like 100%. like you can make a solid cocktail but like you can't talk to anybody you can't mm-hmm. like and i'm introverted too i'm super introverted yeah. so like i get the hassle sometimes but like your Where do you think that came from for you? Your ability to interact with guests the way that you do, because it was you were one of the first people that I was very instead of just in in good practice. I was very much like, okay, I definitely need to have this kid do a stage shift before because you were so knowledgeable, and I was like, okay, I personally like you, but like you clearly read as introverted. You definitely are just a little bit more pulled back and kind of like very calm. And I was like, okay, our particular bar needs someone that can be pretty engaging. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do the stage shift. Let's see how it is. And you, which a stage shift is so intimidating. You're like, cool, let me come in and make all of your cocktails and talk to your guests. And (laughs) I'm just here for a couple hours. It's like, it's just so much. It's if you, 
are unfamiliar with a stage shift, it is uh, basically a working interview where you come in for a couple hours. Some people abuse the hell out of that and they just take free labor and you don't actually do anything cool. I think that's fucked up and not how you should use a stage shift, but I digress. Um, I mean, you came in and just like instantly your personality shifted when you started speaking to people across the bar and I was like, what <laughs> is happening? This is amazing and I'm obsessed with you. Just gotta flip the switch a little bit. <laughs> you do flip the switch. Yeah. Is that something you had to learn? Do you just feel like that's part of your personality? Is that part of music for you? Like where did that come from? Yeah, you perform. I, you yeah, perform. that's actually really true. Yeah. Um I don't know. Yeah, music's different because it's it's performing and bartending sometimes is that I think I compartmentalize bartending sometimes into performing, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I mean, that's how it was taught to me that if you are behind the bar, you are on a stage and you are performing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a way, yeah, for sure. Um, I actually just, uh, I think it's actually just from, uh, being in academia (laughs) (laughs) because I, uh, had to do so? so much public speaking um huh. doing uh, like literature and philosophy i would always have to do a uh, ton of like presentations mm. and like even when i worked in higher education kind of like thesis concept type of presentations or just like in general papers like just like in of, general okay. yeah and uh i worked in academia for a while and so i would have to host like online like zoom sessions and mm-hmm. talk about like the pros and cons of attending a college and recruiting and they'd be like 30 minute long sessions. Mm-hmm. So I'd be talking for half an hour basically. Um, but actually, uh, I actually do a little method and any introverted bartender actually could take so much use from this, at least, I don't know, depending on your temperament, but like for me, it works a lot and it's actually, uh, it's taught to me by a mentor of mine while I was in school. Because hmm. uh, I was, I mean, I'm introverted. So, like, I didn't, I I still only have, like, a very small group of friends. Like, I'm not someone mm-hmm. who just makes a bunch of friends. Yeah, and you keep your circle everybody. tight. I respect yeah. that. We yeah. do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when I'm meeting people, I go through a, a formula called forms. Like, this is literally what I do every time that I talk like to somebody. Like, in your head? Yeah. That I talk. Oh my God, I'm yeah. so excited. Walk yeah. us through this. My little OCD part <laughs> is like, teach me. Teach me how to contextualize everything. This is literally <laughs> what I do every single time I meet somebody that I've, you know, I'm bartending and I, I, I've never met them before. Or or even if I'm seeing somebody that I haven't seen in a while, I'll do it again and I'll just like rephrase it. But forms is family, occupation, recreation, motivation, and school slash sports. So it's basically, you know, where are you from? You know, mm-hmm. you know see like, oh, I'm from Michigan. Oh, do you have family up in Michigan? You talk about their family. Mm-hmm. And then you go to occupation. Oh, what do you do for work? And then uh, I do construction or whatever. Oh, do you like it? Oh, why don't you like it? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do when you're not at work? Recreation. Oh, I am really into movies or something. Oh, what's mm-hmm. your favorite movie? You know, and mm-hmm. then you just keep going through all of it. And eventually... What's great about people that I've learned as a very introverted person is that people love talking about themselves. Yes, they do. So when you find the one thing that people are obsessed with or they're passionate about after you go through all of that, um, you just stay on that mm-hmm. and you barely have to talk. 100%. You just like follow it's up human with nature. more people questions. People enjoy talking about themselves and that and not from like some gross inherently selfish way it's just how i think we're wired as human beings yeah a little bit less so for introverted people however (laughs) (laughs) i mean it depends on the i like talking about myself like everyone likes talking about themselves even even if they're introverted people like talking about themselves Mm -hmm. i think uh, well, it's the one comfortable thing, right? It's like they're not trying to prove anything. They're not trying. Th- yeah. There's nothing for that. There's nothing on the line. It's not like they could be caught being wrong or something. <clears throat> it's like, no, they're just yeah. talking about themselves. Yeah, it's very yeah. safe. <laughs> it's very safe. And it's like once you're on that like train of thought for somebody, that's when I just step back and I do follow-up questions. But mm-hmm. like they'll go on forever. 
Yeah. And then eventually I have to like be like, oh, cool. And then go to the next person, yep. you know, but walk away, come back. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I'll come back and follow up and, mm-hmm. you know, like keep asking questions. Like, uh, if, if, if it's, it's funny because when people are actually interested in like me, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's different. Like, <laughs> uh, because like, ah, yeah what are you doing you're yeah, flipping the script yeah yeah this is not forms yeah <laughs> it's it's a little bit different because it's like oh i have to talk about myself now but uh but no in that situation do you go through forms on your <laughs> no 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 <laughs> someone's I, like so tell me about you you're like well my family <laughs> <laughs> no i think i'm an obsessive person enough to where it's like i could just talk about myself forever because i'll just think about everything about me <laughs> uh whether it's about like where i'm from or what i do or whatever uh or just like yeah i'll geek out on uh liquor or, mm-hmm. you know whatever they're asking about what they're drinking or something like that sure. but uh but yeah, there's a little switch that I do. My day-to-day life is very, you know, I'm very introverted, mm-hmm. very, I'm pretty reserved in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I'm at work, I, uh, it takes me maybe about an hour to like maybe. really get into it. Mm-hmm. But like the first hour. But I think, uh, well, see, I don't know. I was going to say, I think that's for anybody. I think it almost just depends on the day for myself. I'm, I consider myself, generally speaking, an extroverted person, but oof, I, th- I don't know if it's just like the amount of years that I've been doing this or now that I do this, this as in bartending and also run our program and now I'm <laughs> doing the podcast. It's like I have so many moving pieces, like sometimes it takes me that time to get into it, but it's just because it's like my brain needs to like turn off all the other switches. Yeah. Whereas, like, yours needs to, like, turn them on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't, so, like, I, I compartmentalize for sure. And, like, I put everything in, in their own boxes. But, I mean, you know me. I have uh, really bad sleep problems. Yeah. So, when I get... Has that always been a thing? It's been... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even when... Dude, I, even when I was a kid, like, when I was, like, 14, 13, I would stay up till, like, 7 a.m. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I'm sure school was like not far around the corner. No. After that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I've only was been... that a draw for you of the industry, the hours? Uh, or is it just kind of happenstance? I, no, not really. Honestly, it's probably just happenstance. Uh, I think I was interested in the industry because I was interested in, um. Because at the time I was drinking, <laughs> at the time I was drinking and I was just interested. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. I was just interested in making good drinks, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so just, it was just happenstance, I think. But, you know, I've always had pretty bad sleep issues uh, for the last, like, at least 10 years, mm. for sure. Yeah. I'm so sorry So it's wild. That. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? What so. are you going to do? <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, I want to hear a little bit more about this um, Japanese uh, New York bar situation. Yeah, let's get into a little bit of uh, Japanese whiskey. Mm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we're drinking? And We're drinking Nika whiskey from the barrel. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why it's called from the barrel because... I think it's just marketing. Whiskey, it has to be from a barrel. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just marketing because it's not even a single barrel. It's is uh, it their take on like a barrel proof? Is I, like, I, do you I, think that's the message they're trying I guess, to get across? Yeah, because it is a higher proof. You said this is what it is a higher proof. It's uh, no, it's fifty-one percent. So it's oh, like one point something. Uh, okay. One hundred something. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Uh, I can't do, I'm not a good at math. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's like one of their, it's not like one of their higher end ones, but it's like 60 bucks for a bottle. Mm -hmm. It's like a decent price. Especially for a Japanese whiskey. That's a decent range. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nika is great. Um, the, this one in particular, it's blended. Uh, Most of Nika honestly is blended. Mm -hmm. Like, for some reason, they just love blended whiskeys. They never really do Well, I think that comes from where they were taught as... Yeah. Was it Scotch and Irish, or was it primarily from Scotland that taught the Japanese how to make whiskey? Uh, f- 
from what I know, it was from uh, Shingiro Tori, which I'm saying that with a very American accent, Sorry. but uh, uh, he is the founder of Suntory, mm-hmm. who was the first distillery in mm-hmm. Japan, and uh, I believe he and uh, his buddy Takatsuru, who is the guy who founded Nika, um, I forgot who it was, but one of them went to Scotland mm-hmm. and actually learned like their mm-hmm. distilling process of scotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and scotch is hugely, I mean, that is classically a very blended yeah. process. Yeah, typically. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they came back and basically appropriated their process to uh japanese grain and the mash bill is interesting for a lot of japanese whiskey because they use a lot of rice Mm. in their mash bill Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense you know like sake and and shochu and whatever uh but um yeah from what i understand i'm not an expert but uh they primarily one of them primarily learned from scotland how to make scotch amazing Uh, i love that and then they would use which is why you get a lot of that um peatiness yeah crossover yes yeah. it drinks a lot of japanese whiskeys because they're l- pretty light though tend to drink a little bit more like an irish whiskey to me a lot of especially like suntory toki which is like probably the most popular most well-known japanese whiskey yeah. which makes a fantastic highball by the way for people listening with some soda water and like a lemon zest is just delicious it's lovely and crisp and it's great all year round um but that has much more of like a bright lemongrass type of note to it. The peatiness yeah. is super, super subtle. I don't get it big time. Whereas something like this that we're drinking, I get way more of that peat. Um, yeah. Which peat is moss, right? It's a peat it moss. Is, it is moss. Yes. yes. Yeah. But yeah. it's like a cooked is not really the word I'm looking for. Smoked. But that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's where that specific type of smoke flavor is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that, I mean, it, it was funny because there's this whole movement in Japanese whiskey that happened uh, throughout, like, the 80s and 90s where, like, there was an issue with the ability to label a Japanese whiskey a Japanese whiskey. Yes. Like, people were literally, like... Well, even now, they actually just recently put actual laws in place around it. Okay, yeah. Like, that yeah. finally happened. We had... I had somebody... um I think it was one of the spirits specialists with Best Brands came in um, and sat down with us and did like a Japanese whiskey education. We talked about that where it's still very new. I'd have to go back and look at all of that. But there was a lot of um, admittedly semi-questionable things happening where like not all of the things that were being sold as Japanese whiskey were actually whiskey they were like another spirit kind of there was a lot of gray area happening and they're trying to regulate that more finally or it's not even made in japan yeah also that yes that i think that was the big part of it the main problem would be like it'd be like made in like taiwan and then bottled in japan yeah and then distributed so that'd be like a kind of like how some brands are like it's a kentucky bourbon and i'm like (laughs) No, it's not. It's a Tennessee All whiskey. you did was put a label on it in Kentucky, but that is not a yeah. Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. Oh, kills me. Kind of the same issue, but, um, but yeah, they <laughs> different they, countries instead of different states. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they they learned for sure from the making scotch, and then they came back and imported that process back into Japan. Which the main thing that makes a japanese whiskey japanese whiskey in my opinion is uh japanese water Hmm. that's like Mm -hmm. the main thing water Uh, is such a crucial ingredient for so many things i was taught working at founders in michigan you know our amazing water source was a huge reason the beer was so phenomenal and why grand rapids is you know, I think there's a couple cities in America that call themselves Beer City USA, but yeah, <laughs> we did consider ourselves Beer City USA. I mean, there were there's a ton of breweries in Grand Rapids, especially. There's a ton. There's yeah. a, a know, lot, yeah, a know. lot, a lot. Um, but a lot of it is that water source, or same with like why certain areas do make very good whiskey or very good bourbon. 
a lot of it comes down to your water. And again, same here. Yes, it's like a lot of those distinctions. I mean, that's primarily what's making up the liquid in all of these. Yeah. <laughs> it is still mostly water. Yeah. So if you don't have a good water to start, then you're not going to have a good product at the end. And it also really makes a difference too, because like, I mean, Japanese water, it depends on the region, obviously. And it's funny because a lot of Japanese whiskey, like for, I'll just use Suntory, for example, like you have Toki and then Hibiki and then mm-hmm. Yamazaki. And then in the middle, I think there's... Uh, Hakeshu. I could oh, be butchering the name. That uh, that's like their single malt. Um, but uh, those are just regions <laughs> of Japan. Oh, see, I didn't even know <laughs> yeah. that. So, like, Yamazaki is called Yamazaki because they put the distillery in Yamazaki, Japan. Oh, interesting. And Hibiki okay. is called Hibiki because it's in Hibiki. Yeah. Uh, so, I love the Hibiki, by the yeah. way. It was like it was one of their anniversary releases that was only meant to originally be a like limited time anniversary release. Is it which one, the Harmony or the? Uh, yes, the Hibiki okay. Harmony from yeah. Suntory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was. It was never meant to be like a year round yeah. or or yearly. I guess I really should say product. It was like this huge anniversary celebration, and it, it just ended up being so incredible that they were like, "Yeah, hey, yeah all right, yep, we are keeping this." <laughs> harmony is great. They, I love the Harmony. They were making a twelve year for a while, and then they discontinued it. Mm. So I don't know. 12 year if you have a 12 year it's probably really expensive now probably. but uh um yeah but it, it basically it's just by region like mm-hmm. uh, so people ask me like yoichi by nika is it's the region it's it's in yoichi japan oh, okay. so it's it's there a single go. malt made in yoichi mm-hmm. uh it's like leaper's fork or mm-hmm. or bell mm-hmm. mead sure like it's just like it's just parts of parts of tennessee yeah that's where it was was made Mm -hmm. uh but just because it has a japanese name it like sounds you know yes yes. it sounds a lot more layered yeah it sounds more exotic or something (laughs) what Uh, is exotic to us americans you know (laughs) Uh, but yeah nika is great um it's uh basically the guy who founded nika worked with the guy who founded centauri Suntory is the oldest distillery in Japan uh, in general back in like the 1920s. Uh, and the guy who founded Nika worked with him for, worked with Suntory for about, I think, like a decade. Oh, wow. Uh, so he, um, it's funny because the guy who founded Nika is the, I'm pretty sure he's the one who uh, wasn't like the master distiller necessarily, but mm-hmm. like he was a massive influence on bringing back stuff from Scotland. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, so he uh, went on to found Nika, I think in like the thirties. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and uh, those are like the main two houses that really, yeah, a lot of it comes. Anybody to really mm-hmm. needs to know. Um, there's other, other ones too. Uh, Roku gin is by Suntory. Yes. So and I love Roku. Gin. So there's also gin off branches as well. Um, but gin is cool. Uh, uh, what are some of your favorite gins outside of Roku gin, Japanese gin? Hey, yeah. Roku is definitely up there for me. Um, expensive. Uh, if I can just tangent for a second on that, actually, dude. it's amazing to me how good of a gin that is. And you feel fancy because the bottle's beautiful yeah. and it's a Japanese gin, but it is inexpensive. It's like dirt cheap. It is kind of dirt cheap. I like can find it for like twenty five bucks. I was gonna say I was like I think yeah. I've seen it for I think the last time I bought a bottle it was like maybe maybe thirty yeah. maybe like after tax. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like dirt cheap. Uh, yeah, it but is it's so good. Very economical. It is wallet friendly, but it is high quality in and of yeah. itself. Like if you're looking for just like a fantastic gin and tonic either at home or a more affordable one at a bar that's going to be a lot nicer, like, damn. Yeah. And Roku, it's nice, too, because, like, if you don't like dry gin, Roku is, like, the opposite of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, like, super botanical. Very. Uh, and the bottle is, like, beautiful. It's it's six-sided. And it's, oh, yeah, it is. it's representative that. of the six botanicals of Japan. So they have, like, if, cool you, song, if you look at, like, the papyrus around it, they have, like, 
each botanical like engraved oh, into it they? yeah oh my god so they like just think about everything i'm gonna have it's to go so, run yeah. and buy a bottle of roku gin yeah. immediately i think that's why i love japanese spirits in general is like we were talking about earlier like i don't know if i'm elegant but i'm really intentional mm-hmm. there's a lot of intention there's just so much intentionality behind a lot of japanese mm-hmm. spirits uh, well i mean that's where yeah. i think japanese cocktailing stands out so much as well yeah um I mean, that's a very, from my understanding, my perspective, highly respected form of bartending is that Japanese culture bartending. Yeah. Did that also come into play in the Brooklyn establishment that you were in? Or was it more just what they carried was Japanese products? It was mainly just what they carried. Okay. Yeah. There wasn't really a culture behind it necessarily. Okay. I did get obsessed, though, with watching, like, Japanese bartending documentaries and stuff like that. (laughs) And which, yeah, it's literally, like... What are some of your favorite takeaways from that? uh, From... Japanese uh, bartending. Just from, like, what I researched Mm -hmm. and stuff? Yeah. I think just, like, the culture of it is just different, like, completely. Uh, One, they treat it like uh, apprenticeships, almost. Mm. So, like, it's one of those few, like, skills and trades where it's it's very old in the sense that you go, you become a bartender, and then you literally work at that bar for the rest of your life. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize like, that part. And then it's, like, passed on. Like, it's a generational bartending. Mm. It's kind of crazy. Mm. Uh, or if I've seen... Uh, a lot of videos where, like, you know, there's a to bar- differentiate if you're not service industry, American bartending, like my lord, the turnover rate is so high. Oh, yeah. Generally speaking, within the service industry, not just yeah. bartending specifically, but I'm talking servers, hosts, essays, bar I just all of it. Unfortunately, it's a, a very common theme that there's a lot of turnover within yeah. one within one full calendar year there's a lot of staff coming and going through the doors unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah no absolutely uh yeah i don't know it's, it's just it was just the culture uh they they treat it like this generational like passing like if That's you so go and you become a bartender you apprentice for a really long time and you learn all their techniques they get super into specifics like uh sh- different kinds of shaking for different kinds of ice even in their yeah different mm-hmm. kinds of ice and different kinds of shaking for clear versus uh like dark spirits mm. and different kinds of ice to shake mm-hmm. for clear versus dark spirits um which is just i don't know what the science is behind that uh i'm not yeah. japanese so i never learned any of that but um yeah and like uh like it's it's pretty common that most american bars will use japanese jiggers mm-hmm. like we use japanese jiggers yeah i i significantly prefer the japanese yeah. jigger mm-hmm. over like the swiss jigger which is like the bowls almost say, yeah, the, yeah. yeah they're very bulbous yeah. i don't i don't like them in my hands yeah i'm very um texture and all of that is very big for me and i don't i don't like those and they they were it's cool because the japanese jigger was designed uh like everything how do i describe this like every everything that the japanese do in bartending is for the patron Mm -hmm. like literally everything Mm -hmm. so the jigger was designed so that when you uh, pour it into a mixing glass or a shaker, mm-hmm. it's designed to where you have to pour slower. Mm-hmm. You can't just dump it in mm-hmm. like a Swiss jigger mm-hmm. because it basically shows the patron how much you're pouring. Mm-hmm. And it also forces you to pour a little bit slower because it yeah. shows them how much you're pouring. In fact, I'm going to grab uh, an example. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> okay, so if you're listening on... Um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon or Google, you're only listening and you can't see what we're talking about. But if you <laughs> pop over to YouTube, then you can watch all of this amazing footage as we're sitting down on my couch and looking at our wonderful Broadway views. Um, but if you're not sure what a Japanese jigger looks like and you're listening, you can either Google it or you can hop over to YouTube. Um, but if you're unfamiliar, it is what bartenders are using 
if you're not at a speed bar. Speed bars are going to, they know their counts. You have a speed pour on top of the bottle and you can count and measure in that way for how much you're pouring. <laughs> Certainly less accurate. Um, your jigger is going to be what's allowing you to measure and you have one side that is traditionally your one outside and on the inside there is little etching that shows you other gradients down to quarter ounce, half ounce, three quarter, and then your full is the one ounce. Um, with especially Japanese style jiggers, technically you want a meniscus on those measurements what's a meniscus <laughs> are you serious <laughs> no i know what a meniscus. okay i was like are you no. being facetious no. i can't tell but if you don't know what a meniscus yeah. is though yes it's like you do um so if it was like just flat if the liquid is completely flat across the top um this is getting very chemistry and nerdy but like technically the bottom is not flat it is also curved so if the top itself is flat that's actually not the full ounce you want there to be that little lip or that meniscus where it almost looks like it's going to overflow but the liquid itself has a certain density that sticks to each other and then your other side that has your two ounce pour and again inside of that has certain gradients depending on the jigger most of them just on the large side have your one and a half ounce marker and then the full two on that side nice thank you I can't help it. I nerd out. That's why I'm doing this is so that I can nerd out on yeah. all these fun things. And that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. But, uh, yeah, well, actually, can I use that as an Absolutely. example? Yeah. So, like, uh, it's funny because I found myself doing this because of just, like, learning Japanese stuff and, like, working in Brooklyn and stuff. But I'll see people using even, like, using a Japanese jigger and they'll, they'll stew, they'll do this thing mm-hmm. still, which is fine. Like do whatever you want. Uh, in Japan, they'll always do this mm. because they're showing you how much liquid is in it. And basically it causes a slower pour. You can't just, can you try dump. to verbalize and walk through? Uh, yeah. So instead of basically holding it and tilting it on its side to where it's basically it's blinding the patron mm-hmm. from seeing the inside of the jigger. Right. They can only see the side of the jigger. Yeah. They can't really see how much was in there or anything. Yeah. Uh, I was always taught and like just from watching stuff that you would have, they, a lot of Japanese bartenders. The will presentation pour it. is like guest facing. You're yes, pouring. Yeah. You're towards pouring towards them. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're pouring towards them into whatever mixing glass or shaker so that they can see exactly what the liquid is and how much you're pouring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's for them. So you mm-hmm. might as well pour it for them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, like uh, that's just like one example of like why it's like everything's for them. It's like, yeah, like the, the jigger they're using and what they're using, the kinds of ice they use. Ice is like a obsession that they have. Yes, I get especially... When I can't sleep and I'm scrolling through bartending <laughs> TikToks at night, it's just like the amount the algorithm shows me of just like carved yes. ice yes. <laughs> they, cocktailing, they're... which by the way, I have to plug if you have not been as well or anybody in Nashville, please, for the love of yourselves, go to La Loop above oh, yeah. the Optimist yeah. in the Germantown area, La Loop, L-E space... L-O-U-P, La Loop. One, they have an incredible raw bar if you like oysters and things like that. And they do this super cool tableside bananas foster that they flambe and light on fire. And it's just like dope as hail. Um, but they do the carved ice per cocktail, the huge block, the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was. Mm. I haven't been yet. I, I want to go. But I have to go. I, yeah, I need to go. I, Double my, day. I know, Cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always just end up at the Fox, like a hooligan. Oh, because bless the Fox and those beautiful yeah. humans there. Dude, they're, my God. they're all gorgeous they in the best way, gorgeous. like in every way. Yeah. Shout out to Laura and Peter. I love you both. Dude, I love Peter. Peter, Peter. I love you. <laughs> Peter, knows, we love yeah, you. He knows who I am. So. <laughs> uh, You're like, it's not weird, I it's swear. It's not weird. Peter knows who I am. So, uh, are we talking about Japanese bartending? Japanese bartending, um, yes. What yeah. are some? You're some from whoa, English. 
some of your favorite takeaways the panic in your house yeah uh, <laughs> at my fumbling i yeah like it, it will never happen here because i i live in america and it just will never happen but uh i wish you know like i i can appreciate like the the dive bar thing and like getting sworn you by customers so upset right now. i'm not upset <laughs> i just you know like it's what makes the dive me, bar thing. It's, it's what lets you me, old man. Yeah, no, like it's what <laughs> lets me pay my bills. Like, I appreciate the fact that I can bring in, you know, people and get the whole, you know, room packed mm-hmm. and still function mm-hmm. and serve people. But I love, I love <laughs> the fact Nerve. that Japanese cocktail bars are oriented in a way where there's only ever two bartenders mm-hmm. and there's typically only ever hey, like, like us. Yeah, like us. <laughs> but there's only ever like 10 seats. Oh, wow. So it's one bartender per five people because it's that personal for them. So That actually answers a lot for me in terms of being a bartender thinking about like, I do know their style of service and I'm trying to think like, my God, how do you achieve that? Yeah. But that makes so much sense. If it's one bartender per five guests, it's like, okay, yeah, that, that I can understand. Because they they are so, it's such an intimate experience with, just, that, just so beautiful. I really patrons. love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and then, you know, they'll spend an hour or so there, however long they spend there. Maybe I'm sure some cocktail bars over there have like reservations depending on like where they're at. They but, have to. uh, so. Well, thank you for all the wonderful suggestions and insight tonight. I yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. Do a last little cheers. 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 Tanika. Tanika. All right. Now, technically, our very last thing, I would love for you to join me. You don't have to, but I do a last call for alcohol. I'm not doing that. You're not doing that? <laughs> okay. Wyatt. That is the only one that has said no, and I really have faith in you that you'll join me in this. I don't I do not do that, though. Like, even when I'm there, I don't do I the last call for alcohol. You know that thing? Uh, I know. I... Uh, I just go around to, again, I'm very intentional. So I go around to literally each person and I go, hey, I'm doing last call. Uh, Would you like anything else? (laughs) Fine. Then I'm going to let you into the mic. Just do your own little, and this is your last call for alcohol. And then I'll yell. Okay. Hey, uh, doing last call. Uh. Can I uh, get you anything else at the moment? I just want to. Last call for alcohol. (laughs) Okay, good job. (laughs) Thanks. Mike Wazowski. (laughs) That was creepily spot on. All right, Wyatt. With all of this Japanese whiskey talk, tell us why. Everyone needs to give Japanese whiskey a fair shot. Why you should order it the next time you go out. Everyone needs to give Japanese whiskey a shot because it is basically if scotch and American bourbon had a baby. Mm-hmm. And it's got the smoke in there, but it's also got a lot of sweetness, like bourbon. Uh, but what sets it apart is primarily the floral nature of it. So... It's like the tertiary gap. Beautiful. It's like the the road. It's like the bridge between heaven and earth. You know, Terabithia? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the bridge between. It's not one or the other. It's a weird thing in between that it makes it so makes is. it unique. Yes. So yeah. I actually really like that. Um, it does have a lot more sweetness, like American whiskey, than Scotch on its own on its own does. I think a lot of people yeah. hear that it's similar. And kind of like then turn off. But scotch tends to have a very like cigar box yes, yeah. finish to it. Almost like tire. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has a little bit more of a dry take on it. 
coming from somebody who who actually does love scotch very much. I'm an old man. Give me Lagavulin 16 any day of the week. Um, but Japanese whiskey does have that little bit more richness that you get normally from your American whiskeys. Yeah, it's it's its own animal. That's mm-hmm. why people should try it. Yeah, we're yeah. not just getting the wonderful grain from American whiskeys, um, but it's a very nice nod to the floral notes as well that I think it's unique to. Yeah. Do you think it's unique to the Japanese grain or the Japanese water? Or something uh, else? I think it's the water and the fact that they're ma- part of their mash bill is rice. Mm-hmm. So it's just an uh, added sweetness to it, kind of like sake or soju. I love that. But, um, yeah, it's not going to be nearly as abrasive as scotch. And honestly, if people don't like scotch, they should try Japanese whiskey and then try scotch. I think that's brilliant. So, yeah. Take it from two bartenders. Nice. Give Japanese whiskey a go.